I am, I am fired up, and one of the reasons I'm fired up is because David was dancing up here, and I was trying to figure out how, how to do what he did. I, like, he just moves, like, you know, I can't do it, but it's okay. Uh, anyways, it fired me up, and I'm fired up to be here with you guys. Welcome to Westside, and welcome to the last message in the series, This Beautiful Mess. This has been, if you didn't know this, has been a journey through our values over the last six weeks. This is number six. And we're, I'm, I'm grateful to have this time with you because I think values are so, so, so important. I mean, if you think about it, values, what you value, what you care deeply about, it drives everything that you do, especially under pressure. And everybody has values, but some of those values are accidental. And when you take the time to intentionally create and craft values, language around your values that help drive your behavior, it's a good thing. And we've done that together now as a church. And I know that it's going to make a difference for all of us, you know, especially because we do live in a high pressure time. So it's easy to do the, take the, the path of least resistance, not just as an individual, as a community, it's easy. It's easier to take the path of least resistance, which doesn't turn into beautiful things. But if we'll follow that heartbeat, you know, we're asking that question, God, what do you care deeply about that you also want us to care deeply about and embody as a community? And so today we're in part six, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Now, um, I have to tell you, though, um, the most humiliating, one of the most humiliating moments of my whole life was when I was 17 and uh, I was holding out a set of car keys to return a car that I had borrowed from a lady named Patty, who had a pretty nice car that I needed to borrow, and I didn't have any choice, I just needed some transportation. I asked her, she said yes for some unknown reason to let a 17-year-old kid borrow her pretty nice car, and I trashed it, not on purpose, totally on accident. I had put this five-gallon bucket of paint in the back in the trunk, and the lid wasn't tight. And I drove it for three days, and I wondered what that smell was on day one. Um, but when I, when I returned it to her, you know, the humiliation part was this, that I didn't tell her that it happened when I gave her the car back. And as a 17-year-old, my number one thought was, how do I avoid dealing with this situation? You know, so just don't say anything. Well, she found out, you know, much to my chagrin. And I had to, you know, deal with it. And it was very embarrassing. And the thing is, I couldn't deal with it. I mean, it was, it was a lot of paint. It, like, covered the trunk of the car, kind of pretty much sealed it. Like, it was wrecked in the back. And so I had to figure out how to get through that, you know, and it was very embarrassing. I never was able to, to make up for it. And um, I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. Borrowed something from somebody and then gave it back in worse condition than when you found it. I'll bet you have had someone else borrow something from you and give it back in worse condition than when they found it. Huh? And I'm sorry I just brought that back up. Uh, you've tried to get over this, but... Like for me, it, one of the things I used to do, I used to loan out books. You have somebody, because I love books, I have lots of books, I used to loan them out. I don't do that anymore because uh, what happened was they would come back and they, maybe they were a little tattered or maybe you know, a dog chewed on one of the corners or something like that. And then, and then, and I have a list of books that I have loaned out that never did come back. So if you're watching online, I want that book back. It, 
bring it. So I don't, I don't learn out my books anymore, but um, you know, we've all had something like that happen where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you brought it back worse than you found it. Uh, when I was younger, one of the things that marked me as a person was when uh, there was this family in our church when I was growing up that needed to borrow my parents' truck. They said they had some stuff they needed to move. And this truck was nothing special. It was a heap, actually. I mean, it was a real junker. But this family needed it, and so my parents were very generous, always very generous. They said, sure, you can borrow a truck. So this family borrows this truck, so to speak, brings it back with four new tires on it. Because my family couldn't afford to put the tires on it that it needed. And we realized later, they didn't need the truck. They were looking for an excuse to put four new tires on my parents' truck. It was a beautiful thing. We're going to be talking today about one of our values, which is we leave it better. We leave it better than we found it. And, and so... Uh, I hope this is an inspiring time for you because one of the things that I think we all deal with is we have relationships, we have struggles, we have problems, and it's tempting just to run from them or it's tempting to try to take the shortcut. But there is a way that we can approach those things and it works every time. And so if you're facing a hardship in a relationship or a struggle that you can't seem to get through or if you just have a heart to make a difference, I'm telling you what we're gonna find out today from the Bible is gonna work. Now, in... Uh, 2011, we started a team at Westside when we were meeting at Aloha High School. We called it the Roadies. Here's a picture. The Roadies were basically the people that set up and tear down our church when we were meeting portable at the high school. And it took a lot. I mean, this group had to get there at 5.30 in the morning on Sundays and spent the whole morning until 1 o'clock p.m. setting up, tearing down, cleaning up, doing all this stuff. And I remember it because, one, it was such a dedicated group of roadies. Um, they were amazing. And they, they, they worked so hard, so fast, so selflessly. There were weeks we'd come and show up to the high school and had all sorts of surprises because we didn't know that something was going to be changed. And they just, they solved the problem. At the end of the day, they would always do a walkthrough. And I went with them a lot of times. And we walked through the school and asked the question, is it all the way it's supposed to be? because we don't want to earn a reputation like I did with Patty by giving back the keys and be like, don't tell them the paint's filled, you know? Uh, we wanted it to be better than that. And so we kind of came up with this value at that point, like let's leave it better every time. And, and it worked, and it was, a, it was a wonderful thing. As a result, you know what? Our school partnerships, which we have a lot, in fact, Good Neighbor Project, we're cleaning up four schools this year, I'm excited about that, but our strongest school partnership is Aloha High School. And, uh, and we can say we left it better uh, all those days that we set up and tore down. And in other ways, too, we've been able to see that as a, as a church. It's been exciting. Watched a video on YouTube this week. Anybody else watch a video on YouTube? Oh, give me a break. Everybody watched videos on it, probably every day, right? Um, I was watching a video by this Irish company called Seating Matters. And it was interesting. Uh, what it was was they, they had this guy who was talking about how they had this value as a company that they leave it better than they found it. And I was like, you guys stole that from Westside. That definitely. But one of the employees was talking about it and she said this. She said, you're actually showing respect for the next people coming along. Actually, she said, you're actually showing respect for the next people coming along, something like that. And they had all the interviewed and they walked around and they showed all this stuff. It was so interesting because they would be like showing how the forklift gets treated every time somebody uses it. And it's like, they don't just park it, you know, and then get off of it. They park it, they get off of it, they take their little cloth, they wipe it down, they shine it up, they check the oil, all this stuff. Like everything in that place was perfect. And as a result, it was a very profitable company. 
and people were saying, it, we love working here because we don't have all those bad surprises when you show up to your workstation and got trashed the, the day before by somebody else who was using it. You're missing your stapler at your desk. They don't have that stuff happening. And the, the employee goes, wouldn't it be nice if you worked at a company like that? And we're like, uh-huh, I would love that. But let me ask you this question. Wouldn't it be nice if you lived in a world where everybody was always leaving everything better than they found it? Oh, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't it be nice if you lived in a city where everybody was always leaving everything better than they found it? Or a home, right, where everyone was always leaving everything better than they found it? That'd be a dream, wouldn't it? Well, we're going to talk today about that and how you can actually make a difference. You can make a difference. I know not everything around you is the way you wish it was. And sometimes we go, ah, what do I do about it? It's out of my hands. But I want you to see some tools today that you can use. You can actually make a difference. We're going to look back in time at the Old Testament of the Bible, way back in 565 B.C. or something like that, 597 B.C., when the Israelites got dragged into captivity because they were um, naughty. That's why they got put in a timeout. And God had told the Israelites, here's the, here's the kind of deal. Here's your Ten Commandments. You might know about that. Moses walks down from the mountain with these two tablets and, you know, Here's how you ought to behave. They added to it 613 other things, literally. So I don't know how anyone remembered all that stuff, but they had all this stuff. They were supposed to be walking in a way, you know, God's way. And he had done so much for them. That's the least they could do. He took them out of bondage and, you know, gave them all this stuff, fed them this manna stuff that was on the ground all the time. And, you know, really provided for them, took them into the land flowing with milk and honey. They became the most prosperous of any nation. And then they totally walked away from it all in their lifestyle, and their commitments. And so God had warned them in advance, if, if you do that, here's what's gonna happen, you're gonna be taken out of the land. So it did happen, they, they ended up in Babylon, dragged out of Israel by King Nebuchadnezzar in 597 BC, and now they're like slaves living in a foreign land, um, which was not just not their home, it was completely upside down to them. I mean, it wasn't their culture, it wasn't their customs, it wasn't their belief system. Everything felt like it was wrong and bad, and they had a decision to make. How do we respond in this moment? What will our behavior be like? So they had to create a value, and God gave it to them in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. It's in your notes if you're watching online. Check the app, there's notes there. If you're here, grab those notes out. I want you to see Jeremiah 29, seven. It says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And I think that's true for all of us. Like whatever, like so, however goes the city, kind of so goes our quality of life, I guess. Now these guys were in a, in a place they, where they didn't agree with everybody. Uh, they had a lot of... Uh, things they would do differently. They didn't have the upper hand. I mean, if you think about it this way, they, they didn't set the culture, but they had to deal with the culture. And uh, I find it interesting, one of the old commentators said, this was the hardest command of all, to work for the peace and prosperity of the city to where I've sent you, uh, because they were eating the bread of captivity. I mean, they were like reminded all the time that you're stuck here because of you know, your own past behavior. And it's also a place you didn't choose that you wouldn't choose. In 1 Timothy chapter two, in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, 
who's speaking to an audience that would have understood uh, that sentiment because they were in a Roman culture that was ruled by a guy named Nero, who was really literally one of the most evil people who ever lived. Nero, whatever your like super villain of modern history might be as a political leader or whatever, Nero topped him. I mean, he was horrible. Uh, did all sorts of things that were just unconscionable, even to people who, who were bad. They're like, oh, I would never do that. You know, Nero. And, and so Paul goes like this. In 1 Timothy 2.2, he says, pray for Nero. And everybody's like, oh, I'll pray for Nero, all right. You know, God, send a lightning, but, you know, God, make the palace collapse on him. Sometimes that can be our attitude toward people that we disagree with, particularly people of power that we disagree with. And God's going, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you because if it thrives, you're gonna thrive. And this is something that we build on. So, I mean, because here's the thing. You could either do that, which might be translated into leave it better. You could either leave it better or you can conspire against it, right? You can try to overthrow it, create a coup, you know, take over by force, which oddly is what people thought Jesus was gonna do when he showed up. If you remember, they expected a bunch of political action from Jesus. They expected him to literally overthrow the government. And when he didn't, they were disappointed. But that's an outside-in approach, which doesn't seem to be Jesus' style. He's an inside-out guy. He's gonna do the change on the inside that's gonna lead to the change on the outside. And I think that the issue that we have to really wrestle with in this is whose responsibility is to fix the problems around us. Because we could easily go like, look at the idiots running this or that, you know? Pray for them. No, I'm gonna write them a nasty gram. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, if you're here right now in our audience in person, uh, I just wanna know how many of you have lived in the Portland, Oregon area for more than five years? Okay, so a lot of people, more than three years, anybody? Okay, so pre-COVID to now. Um, this has been, in some ways, a tough place to live over the last three years, depending on your viewpoints and all the stuff going on, but there's been a lot of chaos, that's for sure, and does anybody know somebody who was like, I'm out, and moved? Yeah, and have you been tempted a thousand times to be like, I'm out, and move? Yeah, probably, because it's just been a lot to deal with here, and, and it's different than some parts of the country and different than what other people had to deal with. But I think we have to answer the question of ownership. Like, am I willing to have a, a part in the solutions around us? Am I willing to leave it better? Or am I just willing to complain about it and hope somebody else makes it better? I think it's an ownership thing. I actually think it's more than that. I think it's a stewardship thing. The difference between ownership and stewardship is, ownership is it's mine, it belongs to me. Not only am I responsible for it, but I actually own it. Stewardship is, it's God's, it belongs to him, he's made me responsible for it, and he's coming back to check. How'd it go? How'd it go praying for the peace and prosperity of the city to which I sent you? How are things with everybody, you know? And, and it's, a, it's a big responsibility. You, maybe some of you are parents and you're like, no, that question's gonna apply to your home life or you're married, your home life, or you've got a friend circle that God has placed you in that he expects, you know, leave it better than you found it. So I wanna go through this value with you, leave it better, we leave it better. And it says this, it says we will be a force for good in our world. We will leave it better than we found it. I mean, that's, this, that's it. Like, 
we're going to be a force for good in our world. So when you think about Westside Community Church, I hope synonymously you go force for good because we're here to leave it better, to make a difference, to you know, have a positive impact. And I'm, I'm stoked about so This is what fires me up is that I'm, I'm going like, oh my gosh, there's glimpses of this happening where I can see a difference like collectively that we are making that's measurable. And where if, you know, they ask this question in the, there's a lot of dumb insider conversations that happen in pastor circles. <laughs> and some of them are kind of like, oh, cheesy and stuff, but some of them are like really good. Here's a good question. If our church suddenly disappeared, would anybody notice? Well, pretty good question. And it drives me kind of to go like, boy, I hope so. I hope we're not just here playing around and like having meetings, but there's no like actual impact for it. Um, I know that that's not true. I know that if Westside Community Church disappeared, people would notice. Uh, and, and so today we're gonna talk about, well, how do we leave it better? Because I think this applies not just to our church, which is why we practice this value. It's why we're doing the Good Neighbor Project. We'll get to that more in a minute. But I think it applies to you in every influence situation that you have in your life. And there's a lot of them. I mean, there's the, there's the little influence stuff like that you have with a neighbor when you pass them on the street and you're walking your dog. There's those little influences, right? And those are moments that we gotta pay attention to because you can either keep your you know, beats on and, and just do your thing or you can go, wait, God brought me across somebody's path. Like, what, how am I gonna leave them better right now? Um, there's those moments when you're talking with your kids and you gotta make decisions about how you're gonna handle those things. There's those times when you know, you're in a new job and you've gotta decide, what, what is your relationship gonna look like? Are you just trying to stay under the radar so that you can cruise up the ladder as fast as possible or are you there for a bigger purpose than that? And so I think we have to ask that question, how do we leave it better? One of the things I love about history is we're gonna look back at the early church for a minute, the first church in Jerusalem and one of the historians and kind of commentators of culture said about the early Christians, his name was Tertullian, he said, you see how they love each other? You see how they love each other? That was different. That was better. And I think that's the thing we gotta, we gotta think about. Better, what does better look like in my household? What does better look like in my neighborhood? What does better look like in this whole community? What does better look like in our city? What does better look like for our state? I mean, if we have some time left here and we could make a difference, what would we want that difference to look like? In the book of Acts chapter two, the early church, uh, I wanna read you some verses, but I want you to know that this was a switch, okay, because all of a sudden there's this new community and it's called the church and it was brand new and people had never been called Christians before this. They were followers of Jesus. What happened was there was this massive switch between the way it was and the way it now would be and that was the covenant that God had. This was the switch between the old covenant when Jesus died and gave his life and rose from the dead. He said, it, it's changed, the deal has changed. We're gonna celebrate communion today uh, af after this message because we're gonna, we're gonna pause and remember this change that God created. Where it was this system like the Israelites got kicked out of Israel and, and forced into Babylonian captivity because the covenant, they broke the covenant, which had system of sacrifices and laws and all this stuff. And Jesus goes, that's over. Now there's a new covenant. And so the, the new 
community was this community of people who've been forgiven by Jesus, past, present, and future sins, had been gifted the Holy Spirit, God's presence with them, and had been given a mission to love God and love people. And it was a very exciting time. As a matter of fact, they turned the whole city of Jerusalem upside down in a matter of a very few years because they did things differently. And I, wanna, I wanna, want you to see what it was. So in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47, check it out. It says this, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we're gonna do here in a few minutes, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's like a really short kind of summary of what happened in the city of Jerusalem with a community that started out kind of like ours, where it was a group of people getting together, they were waiting on God's direction, and then he shows up, and things change, and they started following that, and they started saying, we're gonna leave it better. And they did three very specific things that I want you to see, because I think sometimes it's, we're on the, we're on the other side of change, going like, why isn't it different in my family, in my marriage? Why isn't it better you know, our school system or our neighborhood or whatever your thing is that you're fighting right now. And, and what we can see is how God does it, how God wants us to leave it better. And the first one, you can write this down, is, is through good work. You can write that down. We start with something called good work. I, I wish it was good rest or good TV or, you know, something easier, but it's good work. And I think this is important for us to recognize. In Acts chapter two, verse 45, it says, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That was a, an example of good work. I mean, they also did miraculous signs and wonders. The point was, they were doing practical, tangible things that were gonna improve the lives of the people that were there. So, you know, we're not gonna ask for you to sell your property today and, and leave the money in the offering bucket unless you just feel like it. But, um, but there is probably somebody that you know that has a need. And if you had this attitude of good work, you'd be asking yourself the question, well, how can I solve that need? You know, what, what is in my hand to be able to make their situation better that I could like do physically, like tangibly do something to make it better? And you have a choice about that, right? Because all of us do. And sometimes we're like, oh, I'm gonna pretend like I don't know about it, la, 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 la. You know, I didn't see that email. I didn't see that text. I don't, I don't see that Facebook post. Um, I'm gonna try not to notice that there's some, but I think what God wanted to draw the disciples into and why they turned the city of Jerusalem upside down, why there was dramatic transformation in their lifetime, in their community. Don't you want that in yours? Dramatic transformation for the better was because they noticed needs around them and they made themselves fully available to God to do the good work. And, th and that changed everything. Uh, one of the things I've learned is you don't start with the message. You don't start with the message. You know, somebody comes up to you and says, I 
am so thirsty. I just need some water. And you go, well, have you downloaded the West Side app? You can hear my pastor's preaching there, you know? They'd be like, I'm not interested in that. I need some water. <laughs> and so you, know, you don't start with the message, right? You start with the need. You start with what's in front of you. That's exactly what they did. In uh, uh, our past as a church, we've planted a number of churches. One of them is in Ecuador. And when we were doing kind of our exploratory trip to Ecuador, I got to take my oldest son Dawson with me on that trip. And we, we were partnering with Compassion International and a church planting organization to start a new church in Ecuador. And we got to see one of these projects. So we show up in this very, very poor neighborhood and uh, we were going to go out and meet some of the people that lived there. So we were walking down this, this road right here, and my son Dawson is in the very front in that striped shirt, and we were taking some stuff to a family in need. And it was, you know, as you can see, not a fancy neighborhood. The place we were going was built by hand out of cardboard and sticks by the lady that lived there with her three kids, whose husband had left her because she decided to believe in Jesus. And so she had literally no support. What happened was over and over again, this church had taken these boxes of rice and activities for the kids and you know, stuff that they basically needed over, like over the course of the year every single week. And they had also shown up to tutor her kids and all these things. I mean, really, literally no strings attached. She was so compelled by all this and so touched by it that she, she dug in and wanted to know why they were doing it and started asking questions. And she gave her life to Jesus and she became the most enthusiastic. I mean, I thought when we got to this slum, into this shanty shack, that we were gonna meet somebody who was depressed, you know, lying on the floor begging for their life. She springs out of this place, you know, all excited to her. Oh my gosh, I'm saying, you know, just so full of life and energy, was like leading her neighbors to Christ and all this stuff. Why? Because the, her circumstances had nothing to do with her joy. She had met the one who gives joy. The reason that happened was because people said, week after week after week, we're gonna take rice to this lady because we wanna show her that God loves her. And that softened her heart. And it always does when we do those kinds of things. That's why we're doing Good Neighbor Project. Jesus says, let your light shine so that other people will see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. And it goes in that order. They see your good deeds because it shows them something. Proof that if Jesus moves in, it's gonna get better. Because before that, it's just all talk, isn't it? It's just all a bunch of words and ideas. And ideas don't actually change people's lives. Uh, ideas can reinforce the fact that Jesus can change our life. And so I wanna encourage you, we start with good work. What's the good work that God has you to do right now? Think about it, in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood, in, in your job, in your school. What's the good work in your church? in your Good Neighbor Project that you're gonna sign up for. What's your good work? I realize it can be frustrating to just have to start there because you're like, no, I want this person to stop doing what they're doing, you know? I want them to change. Or I want something different for them, but they're not seeing it, they don't. Well, it starts with good work. And the second thing that we do, is, the second part of this is called goodwill. So it starts with good work, it leads to goodwill. Goodwill, if you want to write that in your notes, goodwill is um, otherwise known as credibility, like that you have goodwill with somebody means you have credibility with them, which means that your words match your actions, that if you say Jesus loves you, that they can see some proof in that, 
If you say, I care about you, it's like, because I've shown you, you believe me, right? So credibility and likability. Those two things. Goodwill is credibility and likability. And I want you to think right now about your relationship circle and, and see in your own mind, you don't have to write it down or anything, but in your own mind, how many people or what names of the people would you say in your life right now you have goodwill with? They, they trust you and they like you. Just think about that for a second. FYI, those people you have the most influence with, absolutely. And the reason why is probably because you've shown them over time that you love them. You've shown them good work over time. That's why they like you and that's why they trust you. And so it opens this door to goodwill. It says in Acts chapter two, verse 47, it says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And when you study this verse in scripture, it's not just the people that already believed everything they believed. It's all the people of Jerusalem. It's all the people, including those they disagreed with, including those that had nothing in common with them, including those that were against them before. Like they had goodwill with all the people, which is why there was this massive, dramatic, transformational shift in the city uh, that God brought in because they had followed this pattern. Something that I think we gotta get a little bit better at in our relationships and in our work together is assessing goodwill. In other words, going almost like we have a goodwillometer or something like that, like a way to measure it. How do you know how much goodwill you have with somebody? Because if you don't know that, you might be tempted to try to advance to a different part of God's strategy and go, okay, you're ready for me to, to, you know, to tell you what you should do. <laughs> or you're ready for me to try to control you or you know, you're ready for the next thing. But you don't know that. Because if somebody doesn't trust you or like you yet, it's too early for you to, to move forward. I mean, it might be that if you don't have enough goodwill with your spouse yet, then there's more trust building is necessary. You know, more investment is necessary. So instead of trying to move forward with influence, maybe it's time to move backward back to good work and go, okay, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. If you just moved into a neighborhood and nobody knows who you are, before you, now here's something I, I love. Yeah, go pass out Westside invite cards to everybody, but not before you build trust and likability. Do that first, because that's the order that God blesses, because that's the order that people receive, right? And that's why we're going out and, and serving a good neighbor project. Um, I think it's so interesting how this works in practical life. And so there was this moment not long ago here uh, on this stage when we got to baptize somebody named Lorraine. And Lorraine got baptized by her son Bryce, and I love this picture right here. It's a beautiful moment. Lorraine, uh, actually, this was a multi-year journey, and that's what's so exciting about it, because like, who does something like that just because, boom? I mean, there's always a, a, a story behind the story, right? Lorraine's story was she showed up at our house years before at a, an alpha group that we were leading, Melissa and I were leading at our house. And the Alpha Group is simply like this place where you can safe to ask questions about faith. And so Lorraine shows up and she did say uh, in the first meeting, look, I'm not a Christian. And we're like, duly noted. Um, okay, you know, we're not trying to, and she said, so I'm happy to be here, I'm just here to, to learn and ask questions. And we're like, perfect. She came, she came through it, she was so sweet. We love Lorraine. Every time she showed up, we were so happy to see her. And, um, and then time moved on and COVID happened and all of that stuff. Then at some point in time, more recently, she decided she was ready to believe in Jesus. 
and she gave her life to Jesus, and she asked if she could be baptized, and we got a chance to say, Bryce, would you like to baptize your mom? And he's like, uh, yeah. And so he got to baptize his mom, and, and it's just a beautiful story. I mean, I love that story, right? But it's not like it just was a switch that somebody flipped on. It was a story that God was weaving, and it started out with good work, and it created goodwill, and then it created this next thing in your notes is good news, the good news. The good news comes after the good work and after the goodwill. And, and again, sometimes people of faith get so animated about the good news, the message of the gospel, which is, is life-changing, isn't it? But if you start out with a bullhorn, that's not how God works, right? And it's not how God works in your family either. It's not how God works in any relational influence situation. It starts with the good work, it leads to goodwill, and it leads to the good news. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, I love what it says. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Thus you have what in the book of Acts, if you want to read it, starts out with 120 people, quickly becomes 3,120 people that were following Jesus now it's, it's 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 60, 60 to 100,000 people very quickly who were following Jesus and worshiping publicly in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And it, not, it wasn't just like, oh, yay, they built a big church. No, they left that city better than they found it because of what God was doing. And I love that it says in here, if you want to underline this, I put the Lord added. I underlined that, the Lord added, because it was his work wasn't their work. They were just doing the thing they were supposed to do, making room for God to do his work, and then he did that work, much like Lorraine's story. They were just doing their thing. And I know that that can be frustrating because some of you are in relationships right now, and you're like, I've been just doing my thing for like years now. When is it gonna change? <laughs> you know, I've been praying for my grandpa to give up alcohol or, you know, whatever it is that you might be praying. My whole life, I remember my wife, she had a, an alcoholic grandfather like I did. She prayed for her grandfather, literally. We got married and she, she told me, she was like, we're gonna pray for my grandpa every day. I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> we did. Did you know that it was on his deathbed? She got to fly to San Diego and be with him on his deathbed. He asked her if he could become a follower of Jesus on his deathbed. And he did. And sometimes it takes a while, you know? So my, my encouragement to you is don't give up. I mean, I know you want it to be different. I want it to be different. I mean, so many, it'd be easier to like try to figure out how do we leave the, the stress, the pressure, the trouble? How do we walk away from the relationship? How do we not be in this pressure cooker? But that is not what God has designed. He said, I want you to leave it better. Pray for the peace and prosperity. Work for it. Anybody know what this is right here? Can you see it? It's not a twig. <laughs> it is a twig, I guess. It's bamboo. And I know this because I pulled this out of my yard today. And I pulled it out of my yard for two reasons. One, because I wanted to show it to you, but two, it's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be in my neighbor's yard um, <laughs> where it was planted, right? But it likes to come over to our yard. And did you know that bamboo is a grass? So it like takes over. And I, I, I don't know if you know this, but Chinese bamboo, here's the thing about bamboo. It doesn't, Chinese bamboo takes five years before it grows. 
five years. You plant it, you have to water it and fertilize it every day. Five years before it will grow. And in that time, you'd be tempted to go like, it ain't working. It's not gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. There's nothing coming out of the ground. There's nothing there. And I'll bet you some of you are in that place right now with somebody that you love, with your own self, and your lack of ability to somehow get it together and be the person you wanna be. You're like, it's not happening. Did you know that bamboo takes five years to grow if you water it and fertilize it and every day you, you care for it and it never comes out of the ground? And at that fifth year, you know what happens? In five weeks, it grows to 90 feet tall. Is that amazing or is that amazing? Because it was there the whole time. I think the church is like bamboo. I think you're like bamboo. And I think what God's trying to do is under the surface, he's going, good work, goodwill, and you're like, where's the good news? <laughs> and he's like, trust me, it's coming. But right now it's bamboo. It's under the surface. And if you'll wait, the Bible says, if we wait on the Lord, he will renew our strength. He shows up when it's time. Today we're gonna um, have communion together. And so in a minute I'm gonna pray. Before I do that, I wanna encourage you to take a next step. A uh, couple of things that I want to encourage you to do. Maybe some of you are like, I need more inspiration in my life. I need more support. If so, I want you to lean in and get more involved with Westside. Uh, some of you are like, you know, I, I want to help. I like this. I want to be a part of this. You need to, to join the Westside Dream Team. That's the movers and shakers that are making things happen. Uh, we've committed to a few things. We've committed to, number one, uh, spiritual growth, personally. I'm gonna grow spiritually. We've committed to community. I will be around other people. And we've committed to stewardship. I'm gonna, I'm gonna support the work of the ministry here with my time, talent, treasure. I'm telling you, we are looking to expand this because God's dream for us to leave it better is too big for us to stay the same. So maybe some of you are ready to do that step. And, of course, I hope you'll all be a part of the Good Neighbor Project next Sunday. But some of you are here and you've yet to say yes to Jesus. And I'm not gonna pressure you. That wouldn't make sense. Some of you are ready though. And God's been, you know, if you look back at your life, you're like, wow, look at all that watering and fertilizing he's been doing all this time. Maybe it is time for me to come out of the ground and let him have my life. I wanna pray with you and then we're gonna receive communion together, okay? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today that all of us have like that angst and that kind of frustration about some aspect of our life or of the world. And we're looking around like, who's gonna fix this? But we thank you that you've tapped us on the shoulder to make us a part of the solution. I pray that you would guide us today. That you, not just that you would guide us, but you would, you would send us as a force for good into our world into our homes, into our friendships, into our schools and workplaces, God, that we would leave here today commissioned on a mission to leave it better. But I also pray, Lord, that for those who are here that are saying, I, I, I want that purpose, to know that forgiveness, to have that deal with God where I'm made right with him and I'm his child. And so, Lord, if there's somebody here today online or in this room who's ready to say yes to Jesus, I pray that this be the moment that you open their heart. If that's you, if, you're, if you know that God is speaking to you right now, you could tell him this in your heart right now, just you and him, just tell him this. Say, God, today I wanna give you my life as best I know how. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
I receive your forgiveness today. The Bible says whoever believes in him, that he gives the power to become the children of God. If you choose to believe in Jesus today and say yes to him, he has put you in his family. We are so proud of you. We are so grateful for you. Welcome. God, thank you for what you do. You, you leave us better. We pray that today as we commemorate your body and your blood, that our hearts would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.